Hey everyone, Pastor Hendricks here. A very quick thank you to those of you who have listened or watched our sermons either on our podcast or on YouTube. It's such a blessing to know that you are, are hearing God's word and by his grace growing in it as he promises. As you know, COVID has reduced our in-person attendance this year, which also means our offerings are also down. As a result, we're only about 75% to our budget this year. Normally at this time, we're about 90%, and then we do our catching up at the end of the calendar year. Well, it means we have a little bit more catching up to do this year. And as you know, the work of the church continues. In fact, we've offered more services this year and, and really done more things than we ever have before. So I would ask that, that you would prayerfully consider your giving at the end of this calendar year. Uh, in the weeks leading up to Christmas and, uh, and the end of the year. If you've already been giving uh, either online or, or uh, through, through uh, an online donation or checks, uh, thank you so much. Um, if you haven't, you can set up an online um, payment, a, a reoccurring offering on our website at faithlutheranoregon.com slash online giving, or you can go to our homepage and you'll find a link right there. Again, thank you so much. Uh, may God uh, continue to sanctify you in his word, the one thing needful. Uh, God bless you with the rest uh, of this church year and the rest of this calendar year. Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin. Proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Nearly every Sunday, this church here preached on the epistle lesson for the day. It was about this time last year, looking forward to the new church year in Advent and, and starting to think through uh, preaching the epistle lessons, uh, that I was actually worried that these epistle lessons would be, would be filled with exhortations and lists of things to do in a Christian's life of sanctification. And I was worried that I would be uh, worn out by the law. Well, here we are at the second to last Sunday of the church year, and I can say that I did not get worn out. In fact, these lessons have been a tremendous source of comfort uh, in an, uh, a, a really awful year. Today's lesson is peak comfort. And that in, in a church, uh, a day of the church year called Day of Judgment, peak comfort. Well, what is it? It's a removal of bitterness from our hearts when things don't go the way we plan. And it's a replacement with peace. In our lesson, St. Paul is writing to a real congregation in the city of Thessalonica. And the Thessalonians, of all people, had reason to be bitter and say, woe is me, this isn't fair, something's not right. Because things had definitely not gone according to plan in Thessalonica. See, a couple of months before, maybe a year or so before Paul wrote his letters to the Thessalonians, he'd actually visited them. It's recorded in Acts chapter 17. And this was in the infant days of the New Testament Christian church. Paul had gone to the synagogue in Thessalonica, and he preached there on three consecutive days. 
proving from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus was the Christ and that he had to suffer and rise from the dead. And many were converted to the faith in those few days. But others got jealous, and they actually formed a mob, and they started a massive riot in the city. And they rushed to the house uh, where Paul was staying, the home of Jason. They couldn't find Paul, so they dragged Jason out into the street along with some other officials from the congregation, some other men from the congregation. They dragged him out in the street before the, 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 the city officials uh, to, to judge them. Meanwhile, Paul was forced to flee under cover of night. This, these riots uh, would have made going to church a real problem, uh, even very dangerous, no doubt. And Paul, no doubt, was worried about the Thessalonians. They were new to the faith. They were now already coming under the same persecutions that he and the rest of the apostles had so often faced. What would these, these horrible things do to this new congregation, these new Christians? Would this suffering make them skeptical of the grace and the goodness that Paul had been preaching to them, the grace and goodness of God? Would it weaken their trust? Would it leave them saying, this isn't right, this isn't fair? Would it cause them to give up? Would it cause them to leave their new faith. But you can see how the Thessalonians responded in St. Paul's letter here. He writes, So we ourselves boast about you in God's churches in regard to your patient endurance and faith in all your persecutions and in the trials you are enduring. Paul's not expressing horror that the Thessalonians were abandoning ship because they weren't. They didn't give up when it got tough, but they banded together all the more. In fact, Paul began his letter giving thanks for them. He praises God that the love of the Thessalonians had for each other just keeps increasing. What would Paul say about, about you and me? Have the trials and the difficulties that we've faced this past year, have they, have they driven us closer to Christ and to each other? Notice Paul's point, though. It's not that the difficulties and the persecution that they were experiencing as a congregation uh, meant that they were doing something wrong or that God was executing his judgment on them. Rather, he said, your suffering is evidence of God's righteous verdict. In other words, he was telling them, the fact that you are suffering so much at the hands of the ungodly is evidence that you are different from the world. You are chosen by God. This is why this lesson is so comforting. Because often when we are persecuted for our faith and when we suffer, when it seems that the ungodly get away with, with whatever, while Christians are judged for, for simply having faith, it seems unfair. 
And if it seems unfair, then, then we have to fix it somehow. Either we think, well, God owes me. I feel entitled to give in to worldly temptations. God owes me this. Or I give up, believing that, that Christianity was, was supposed to be all about, uh, all about faith, family, friends, and fun. But the truth is that everywhere, Christians are persecuted, ridiculed, and despised for their faith. We are ridiculed and despised in a way that the majority of the world isn't. And we may never know why. Why should the upright and honest people of Thessalonica have to suffer? Yet Paul gives thanks. He gives thanks. Paul doesn't have an answer why the Thessalonians suffer. Simply that their suffering is good. And it has an eternal purpose. So it is for us. Maybe our suffering isn't fair. But it is good. Because what if God attached a promise to persecution and trials we suffer because of our faith? Not that he told you why, but that he told you it's going to be okay. You have something more important. You have something way better in store than any earthly comfort you may have to live without because you're a Christian. Because you're a Christian who values communal worship. Because you're a Christian who values your brother or sister Christian. And above all else, you want to see them in heaven. This reminds us of, of Jesus' words in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not that our suffering makes us worthy of the kingdom of God. That worthiness is a gift of God's pure grace. But it is our love for this kingdom that makes us willing to suffer. And it's the promise of this kingdom that gives our suffering real meaning. In the book of Acts, <clears throat> some of the apostles were brought before the Sanhedrin, uh, similarly to how Jesus himself was sentenced uh, and crucified. At the end of the hearing, the apostles were beaten in order not to speak of Jesus, uh, speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And then they were let go. What would our reaction be if that happened to us? Would we get bitter and, and try to get even with those who, who brought us before the Sanhedrin with, or with the, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the government officials? But notice, though, their response. Do you know what their response was? The very next verse says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer, to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. And every day in the, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. May we have the same attitude to think of suffering as one of God's good gifts. 
may we be counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. Christ will come again. He will come again in glory as the righteous judge who will bring to this world a righteous judgment. And he will exercise vengeance. It's not up to us. He will exercise vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Such people receive a just penalty, eternal destruction away from the presence of God and from his glorious strength. But among us, but among us, our text says, Jesus will be glorified among his saints. Not that he will come back just so we can marvel at his glory in front of us or beside us, but that he can be glorified in us, in his saints. Why? Because Christians, because Christ's saints believed the apostolic testimony. They believed the word of God. It wasn't because of the good deeds they did. The good deeds didn't make them saints. Rather, the testimony of Christ's apostles, God's word, did. That in the basis of Christ's work, all their sins are forgiven. All of our sins are forgiven. That's what made them, that's what makes us saints. And it's on the basis of Christ's promise that we are judged. By all appearances in this world, when we suffer, when we listen to God's word, when we believe God's word, when we show Christ's love, by all appearances, it looks pointless, it looks in vain, and it looks not fair. But our faith isn't based on how things look. It's based on what Christ himself promises to us. So at the end of the world, we will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? Because by all appearances, we didn't do this. But Christ did. Christ suffered for us, and we believed his testimony, his promise. So just as Christ is righteous, so are we. That's God's righteous judgment. You are counted worthy of God's kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.